Uh, good morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay at the back there? Good, good. Um, well, it is a joy and a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning. Um, it's super cool uh, to be able to be up here speaking on International Women's Day and being a women speaker. So yay, go ladies. Um, and then I also just want to say uh, really quick, um, there he is. Uh, just what a joy it is being a youth pastor. Anytime you get to see, watch your students grow and step out uh, into new things. Um, and so, Nathan, it's just such a joy to see you up there and singing, and you did a great job. Yay! Awesome. Yeah, you add so much. Uh, well, I have a story to tell you this morning. Um, when I was born, there were some extenuating circumstances around my birth, and for whatever reason, you know, whether it was the morphine or some other um, drug or medication going on there, uh, my mom, when she was filling out my birth certificate, filling out the information, uh, she spelled my middle name wrong. It's, yep, and uh, so my name is Alyssa Aaron. Uh, normally, Aaron is spelled E-R-I-N, the female version. Uh, the male version is A-A-R-O-N. Uh, mine is E-R-A-N. You can see it up on the slide coming up. And I used to get made fun of for it a lot, actually, including by my mother. Why on earth she made fun of me for the middle name that she gave me, I don't know. But they used to call me Alyssa Eran, Alyssa Eran. And, uh, and it was something, actually, that I carried with me, um, really, my, my whole life. It was a part of my identity, sort of, and, and not really this great part. It was, like, this flaw. Like, I was legally flawed. You know, like, my, my mom couldn't even set me up with a, with a proper name, even. And so I just carried this brokenness with me. Um, but about a year ago, something really cool happened. Uh, I met a physiotherapist. Um, he had a cool accent, and I was like, hey, where are you from? And he said, oh, I'm from Israel. And I was doing a course at Ambrose at the time, so I said, wow. And I started asking him questions about like Judaism and the Holy Land, and we got into a conversation. And he said, you know, if you have any other questions as you go through your course, here's my business card. Go ahead and give me an email. Send me an email. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh! <gasps> your name is Aaron. And he was like, yes, my name is Aaron. And I was like, my middle name is Aaron. And he was like, okay. And I was like, but it's spelled wrong. And he said, it's not spelled wrong. My name is not spelled wrong. I said, but, but and he's like, no, you're, it's not spelled wrong. It's Hebrew. It's Hebrew and it means to be alert and to be awakened. Cool story, hey? Wow. So, oh, well, okay, clap. Yay, Jesus. <laughs> Now, stories have been told since the beginning of time. We use them to teach, we use them to grow, we use them to pass along information. And a good story, like that one, is sticky, and it's a super effective way of communicating a message, rather than just simply stating a fact or an idea. If I said God is in the business of redeeming all of you, every broken part of you, that sounds great, right? You're like, yeah, amen, sister. But if I pair that statement with a story about how God went so far in redeeming me and my brokenness that he even redeemed my broken name, wow, right? That's amazing. It's a whole new level of amazing. And so we see in Jesus this phenomenal storyteller. And he speaks in these things called parables and is somehow with these stories able to just completely transform thousands of lives. So what is a parable? Well, the Greek word here is parabole, and it means to come alongside something. 
often what makes parables so memorable is they take an element of your life that you're familiar with, like young moms on morphine or drugs, and then put it alongside something totally new or something totally different in order to change the way you see things. And then taking this idea a little bit further, this idea of changing the way you see things is called a paradigm shift. Paradigms are the lenses, the glasses through which we see things. I love this quote by Stephen Covey. He says, we think we see the world as it is, when in fact, we see the world as we are. All that to say, each of us sees the world according to our experiences, our upbringing, our socioeconomic status, our race, our gender, our own beliefs. And all of those things play a part in the way that we see things. We see the world as we are. We judge people by how we would behave in their situation. But parables provide this incredible opportunity for us to shift our paradigms, to see things from a totally new and different perspective. Dr. Rob was speaking to us last week about this idea of repentance. And a key element to repentance is changing not only our behaviors or our habits, what we do, because that only gets us so far or only lasts for so long, but it requires a total change of our thinking. It requires a changing of our mind. It requires a paradigm shift. So parables exist to help us facilitate this shift. They exist to help us see what it is that we don't see and to help us see a new perspective. Now, ideally, you shouldn't have to interpret a parable. It's not supposed to be like one of those jokes that goes over your head. You know, if, if you don't get it, it's not really a good joke. You know, and, and the same thing is if you don't get it, well, it's probably not a good parable. And typically, parables are stories without a ton of symbolism or allegory. They just kind of have one main point to drive home. But the parable that we're going to look at today, the parable of the tenants, is an exception to this. And it has quite a bit of symbolism and allegory. All of which any Jew who heard it, though, would understand, but that we don't necessarily understand. So we're gonna go through this uh, scripture and we're gonna unpack it a bit so we can get a clear idea of the paradigm shift that Jesus was going for when he told it. So um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to Mark 12. Mark chapter 12, verses one to 12. If you have a phone, go ahead and pull it up. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard he put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? 
he will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. The word of the Lord. Now, this parable has a few key characters. Um, the landowner here is God, uh, symbolizes God, and the parable shows us a few um, super awesome things about the character of God. Uh, one, that he is a provider. I mean, he plants a vineyard and he makes sure that everything it needs to be successful is there. It shows that God trusts by giving the tenants uh, the gift of autonomy over what happens. It shows that he is patient. I mean, he sends servant after servant after servant, hoping the tenants will choose to be restored uh, into right relationship with him. And finally, it shows that God wins. At the end of the day, justice prevails, and God will have the last word. Now, the sun in the parable symbolizes Jesus. Not a huge surprise there. And it offers the original audience two key pieces of information. One was that he was the Messiah, the cornerstone. And two, that Jesus knew he was about to die. The others that are mentioned towards the end, the ones who inherit the vineyard once the landowner kills the tenants, are thought to symbolize the Gentiles, who will soon receive the gospel. The vineyard uh, in the story represents Israel, and it's a reference to a verse in Isaiah 5. Now, for the religious leaders, uh, who were symbolized by the tenants, um, in, when they heard this parable, Israel would have represented everything worth losing. Um, Israel, this idea of Israel was their identity. It was their inheritance, their promise. It was what they lived for, except in their selfishness and their ignorance, they took it completely for granted. The tenants in this parable symbolize um, character flaws found in the religious leaders. One, they were selfish and self-focused. They cared only about keeping the harvest to themselves, even though it didn't truly belong to them. Um, it showed that they turned away from every opportunity provided for them to come back into right relationship with the landowner. He tried over and over and over again, but they said no, and they killed those voices. And it shows that they didn't really understand the true character of the landowner. You know, they wouldn't have thought that they could get away with what were, they were doing if they thought the landowner was nearby, you know, close enough to do something about it, or if he would even care. So they, there was a disconnect there in their relationship with the landowner to begin with. And then finally, in this symbolism-filled parable, we have the servants. And these guys symbolize the prophets, the ones who God has been sending for hundreds of years, warning God's children about their destructive tendencies and offering opportunities to come back into right relationship with God. The prophets offered insight, correction, and wisdom, speaking right to the sin of God's people. And on the road to glory, the prophets are the ones holding the warning signs, the ones who tell us when we're starting to veer off track and when we're heading to danger, the ones who offer correction, a place for us to adjust our roots so we can avoid regret. 
What was the paradigm shift that Jesus was going for in this story? The religious leaders had a chance to hear this message from Jesus and recognize that in killing the prophets, they were turning away from correction, from every opportunity they had to come back into right relationship with God. And by saying, what will the landowner do? He will kill them. They knew that Jesus was saying, if they don't stop sinning, if you don't stop sinning, you are going to end up destroyed. But they didn't listen. Instead, they plotted his death. And we have a chance to read this and acknowledge that we too need to accept the opportunities given to us to change our behavior and to come into right relationship with God. We need to accept correction where we too will end up destroyed. Now, has anyone here ever learned things the hard way? Yeah? Oh my goodness, no one is raising their hands except for, there we go, thank you. You know, we're going to go through the Ten Commandments. Anyway, you don't want to lie. You don't want to lie today, let me tell you. Anyways. Um, okay, so I've learned a lot of things in life the hard way. Um, I've got a few examples here that are really good. Uh, one thing I learned as a, a new mom is don't ever take a diaper off the baby's bum unless you have a new one close by and ready to go. That will end in regret every single time. Uh, number two, this one's really embarrassing. Uh, don't buy a standard vehicle if you can't drive stick. I know. That was a lesson I learned the hard way, and that six blocks worth of vehicles watched me learn the hard way um, while I figured out that you could not start in third gear. Who knew? Uh, and third, this one, this is even worse than that last one, um, and this is, this is a lesson I learned very much the hard way. Don't take out cash against your credit card to pay for the standard car that you can't drive. Ooh. Hindsight is 2020. If I ever preach a message about money, you'll know I've come really far. I've come a long way. Uh, my point is this. Correction is hard. Right? No one likes to be told that they're wrong. No one likes to be told that, you know, what you're doing is going to lead to something bad. But ultimately, regret is so much harder. Turning around because you're heading the wrong way is hard. Yeah, that sucks. But that's so much better than driving off a cliff. I want to go back to this idea of paradigms for a minute. Now, we might be tempted to think that we are nothing like the religious leaders in Jesus' time. But I think we are. We are selfish and self-focused. We struggle with being willing to give back to God what's rightfully his. We, or at least I, turn a blind eye to the voices of wisdom in my life when I know I'm doing something wrong. Not all the time, but sometimes for sure. We assume things about the character of God, like maybe he's too far away or too preoccupied to care about our sin. Yes, at our core, I think that we are a lot like the religious leaders. But something we don't really talk about a lot in church, or at least not with my generation, is that sinful behavior leads to destruction. Not just consequences, but destruction. If we don't change our course and we're heading the wrong way, we will drive off a cliff. And just like the tenants met destruction and death and lost their vineyard because of their sin, so we too run the risk of losing everything that is important to us when we ignore the prophets, the voices of wisdom that God sends to us, when we ignore the warning signs on the road to glory. 
Um, I read recently a story about, um, it's not a semi-truck, but it's like one of those uh, car trailers, you know, with carrying all the stacks of cars. Um, anyways, a truck carrying a stacks of cars. And he was about to enter into a tunnel, um, but he was too tall. And there was three sets, they knew this was a really tight tunnel, and so there's actually three sets of warnings um, going into the tunnel that he could trigger and that would tell him. And they had them spaced out so that, ideally, someone could get to him in time if he had missed them and, turn and stop him before he went in the tunnel. Um, somehow, though, this truck driver missed all three. He missed all three and he drove right into the tunnel. And even as he went into the tunnel, the roof of his truck scraped the ceiling. But he still kept going. And this is what happened. Yeah, it's crazy. And this is what regret looks like, right? This is what happens when we drive right past all the warning signs saying we're going the wrong way. So maybe for us, no, maybe it looks like we run the risk of losing a marriage because of an affair. Um, maybe it's the loss of a job because of excessive drinking. Maybe it's the loss of a nest egg because of gambling. Maybe it's the loss of a relationship because of lies and a breach of trust. Maybe it's the loss of eternity in God's presence for those who haven't put their trust in Jesus. Correction is hard, but regret is so much harder. And the tenants in this story found only regret and destruction because of their sinful behavior, even though they are offered correction opportunities to change their ways time and time again. And likewise, those who heard this parable had a chance to change their ways and their minds. They could have heard it from Jesus, and they could have changed their ways from that moment forward. But they didn't. And so what about us? Where do we find correction? Who are our modern-day prophets? What are the voices of wisdom who will tell us when we are veering off track or what's ahead for us if we don't change our ways? What does that look like and when we listen to them? Well, one, we have the voice of God. We can make Psalm 139 our prayer and say, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We can pray this and we can listen to what God has to say and we can take that correction to heart. And then we also have the voice of wisdom in our friends and our family who we trust to offer us correction. The Nathans to our David. Do we have people in our life who we trust to call us out when we're heading down the wrong road? Those people are amazing. They're worth their weight in gold. But the key here, though, is that the relationship must be built on trust and love in order to receive correction. Sometimes correction is offered without that relationship, and it um, sort of ends up sending them down the, the wrong path entirely, right? We see this in the religious leaders. The call for correction from Jesus results in plotting his death. We also see it in teenagers. That was not that they plot their your death. Anyways, we see it in teenagers, and they you tell them to not to do something, they go down the the opposite that you told them to. And then number three, we have the scriptures. The Bible is full of wisdom and stories that speak to our broken human nature and offers hope and guidance along the way. But. But what if 
we're not in a place where we feel we can hear God's voice? What if we're so far gone um, or we're, we're just not there and we don't hear him speak to us? Or what if we don't have a relationship that we feel we can trust someone to speak uh, correction into our lives? What if we don't have that? And what if we don't know where in the scriptures to turn? And maybe most importantly, what if I don't even see that there's something wrong? What if I'm so caught up in my own idea of holiness or that I've buried my shame so deep that I don't even know there's a problem? And if there is one, I'm happy to ignore it. What do we do then? Well, I want to lead us through an exercise this morning. And I find it very helpful in seeing the warning signs of sins in my life. This is a very effective, effective exercise. Um, and it's actually using the words of a prophet from long ago. It's a little out of the box. We don't usually do stuff like this on Sundays, but it'll be okay, I promise. In your bulletins, um, there's a piece of paper with Roman numerals on it. So go ahead and grab that. If you're listening to this online, if you could just grab a piece of paper and maybe write numbers 1 to 10. Now, we're going to get personal here. Going to get personal, and so maybe if you want to you know, hide your paper or space yourselves out a little. I don't know. I'm just, you know, leaving some room for you to to be discreet. I'm going to take the next couple of minutes, and I am going to read out the Ten Commandments, but with a bit of a New Testament spin on them. And for each commandment, for each time you have broken each commandment in the last week, I want you to make a tick. And if that feels overwhelming to you, if you're like, whoa, that's going to be a lot of ticks. I'm going to need another paper. Um, No judgment. You know, we've all sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Um, Go ahead and just go back through the last 48 hours. You know, whatever you need to get a a clear sense of what this might look like in your life. Um, And at the end, I'll let you process this on your own. And the idea is that the commandments with the most ticks might show you the area where you could use some correction might show you some areas where you're struggling with sin. This is a really tangible way to see, hey, what's going on? And the point of this, it's not to, you know, give you a sense of shame or like, you know, have you sit face to face with your sin. It's, it's more just an opportunity to say, hey, how am I actually doing? You know, is there sinful behavior in my life? Am I in need of correction and being made in right uh, relationship with God? Am I in danger of taking the wrong road and hitting a dead end? All right, are you ready? Number one, you shall have no other gods. Now, this one doesn't just mean not praying to Buddha, okay? This is anything in the last week that you have relied on to provide for you. Number two, do not make any graven images, idols. Now, an idol is an image or representation of something we value more than God. So if we find ourselves unwilling to give something up in order to follow God or his will for our lives, chances are that's become an idol for us. And when it comes to these first two, a helpful question we can ask ourselves is, in a time of need, where do I turn first for comfort and help? If it's not God and whatever comes to your mind... Those are ticks. Number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord. Now, this is so much more than swearing or taking the Lord's name in vain. 
We are ambassadors of God, and we represent him in everything that we do, everything we think, and everything that we say. So misusing the name of the Lord could be wearing the title of Christian while acting in a way that doesn't represent Christ in person and on social media. So if there is um, an activity or a behavior or something that you uh, did this last week where you wouldn't have you know, been comfortable wearing a t-shirt that said, I'm a Christian, while you did it, probably you should give yourself a tick. Number four, honor the Sabbath day. Now, we don't think too much about this one, but for Old Testament believers, this one resulted in the death penalty if they missed this one. It's a really big deal to God for us to get our rest and take a day off. And it doesn't have to be Sunday either. It's, it could be any day of the week, but it's a period of time set apart for us to rest and recharge. Number five. Am I giving you enough time to go through them? Is that okay? Yeah, okay. Number five, honor your mother and your father. This one is a little bit tricky, um, maybe for those uh, who don't have great relationships with their parents or who don't um, have biological parents or birth parents. Um, one thing I know for sure is that God, um, that this can include um, anyone that God has placed in our life, like our adoptive parents, our mentors. We can honor those people uh, in that role in our lives. And I also know that um, God wants us to remember that he created us with intention and with love. And so whoever it took whatever it took to make each one of us deserves honoring because of their place and their role they played in the process. Um, honoring our parents um, also means looking after them in their old age. Um, it means taking care of them. Number six, do not murder. Now this is more than just running over someone with a car. This includes looks that could kill. Maybe when you thought about running someone over with a car when they cut you off. I know. Jesus said in Matthew, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So if you've been angry to the point of hatred, wanting to murder someone the last week, go ahead and make some ticks. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Now, this doesn't just mean don't sleep with your best friend's husband or wife. Don't cheat. This includes any sexual thoughts or activities about or with people that you are not married to. Again, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I always tease my um, teenage boys about that one. It's, it's a hard commandment. But anyways, do not steal. Whether it's a chocolate bar or a Lamborghini, anytime we get away with something when we should have paid an honest price is stealing. We're almost done. You guys doing okay? Yeah? No? I'm like, no, this is the worst way to come this morning. I had to get up extra early too. Just to be, <laughs> sorry. Uh, number nine, do not bear false witness. This one is so hard. This is so challenging. Because we know that this verse means you shall not lie. And of course it includes that. But it also covers so much more. 
Bearing false witness might look like gossip or slander or even exaggerating. That is awful for me because I exaggerate about everything. See what I did there? No. Yeah. It might even look like silence when God would have wanted you to speak up. All of that is covered under bearing a false witness. And then number 10, do not covet your neighbor's wife or possessions. And this one ultimately comes down to a spirit of ungratefulness. Envy, jealousy, and wanting what you can't have all come down to not being grateful to God for what he has given you, for the ways that he has provided for you. And so if you've struggled with feeling ungrateful or discontent with what you have this last week, and you've wanted what others have had instead, then we need to give ourselves a tick or a few. That wasn't so bad, hey? When I first did this exercise, um, it, it changed me. It opened my eyes to just how simple I was in the best possible way. Um, before that, I didn't even really recognize my need for grace in that season of life. I mean, I, I knew God. I read my Bible. I was involved in ministry. I was a religious leader. You know, but it opened my eyes to some serious warning signs and to just how much correction I needed in order to avoid letting my sin lead to destruction. And so I hope it'll do the same for you. Um, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up if you could. Now again, the point of this exercise isn't for you to experience shame or to feel like a giant failure. It's to recognize the need for grace in our lives. It's to provide a paradigm shift that we do need correction, that we aren't perfect, that we are in need of a savior. And we're gonna close out the service with a song. And whatever those papers look like in front of you, even if they've got more black than white from all the marks on them, our God is a gracious God. And as the parable we read said, he gave his son with the hopes of bringing us into right relationship with him. We don't have to throw the body over the wall like the tenants did. We don't have to give in to shame and close our ears and our hearts to God. We can let our eyes be opened. We can repent and allow our paradigms to shift as we come to terms with our sin and yet also with the graciousness of a God who took on death on the cross so that we could be restored. Now, if you're here this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus as your savior, but you have a paper in front of you that's full of marks and you wanna be free from that sin and free from the darkness in your life, all you have to do is trust. All you have to do is trust that Christ died so that your sins, those marks on your paper could be forgiven. And they are. He doesn't want you to carry those sins. He wants to heal you and make you whole. He wants to redeem every part of you that's broken. This morning, our prayer team will be over here um, near the altars on your right, my left, and you are always welcome to come and they would love to pray for you this morning. And my prayer for each of us is that we would remember the commitment of Christ to always meet each one of us where we are, always, no matter what, where we are, but he will not leave us there. He is in the business of making us whole of doing whatever it takes to bring us into right relationship with him, even if it means sending his son. Uh, I'm going to close with a prayer, and then the worship team is going to lead us in one last song.
Let's pray. Lord, correction is so hard. So hard. It's so hard to hear that we're wrong. It's so uncomfortable. And sometimes it's just so much easier to shut out the voices of wisdom coming in. Those voices that tell us what we're doing is wrong. Lord, I know that I've killed those voices in myself. I've shut those voices out, and I'm sure I'm not alone. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for not making space um, in the times when we should have for correction and for wisdom to speak so that we could be brought into right relationship with you. Help us to know this morning and going forward into our week that as much as correction stinks, it's nothing compared to the rotting stench of regret and the pain that comes with lost opportunities and relationships. God, would you open our eyes to the way that you want us to see things? Would you help us be brave as we surrender our selfishness and our sin to you? Would you give us a paradigm shift? Let us see things not as we are, but as you are. Would you give us a heavenly perspective so that we could make real your heavenly reality on earth as it is in heaven? Amen.